0: that was good thank y'all thank y'all I love to walk out on the stage when the church is singing I think it means you're ready to listen and that is good for me thank y'all so much for being here Uh, I know y'all probably are thinking about lunch I am maybe Uh, but I I just want to tell you thank you for being here Uh, for those of you who are here in person I appreciate you being here I appreciate you guys joining us online. Thanks for being here. Uh, We are starting a new series today entitled Encounters with Christ. Uh, Josh and I were tasked with coming up with a summer series, uh, and we we thought it was very important, uh, just incredibly poignant with all the things that are going on. Sometimes it feels like you walk outside your house, sometimes even inside your house, and you just have like noise coming from everywhere, uh, telling you what to think and what's going on, and uh, there's, there's definitely some good pieces about that. But there's also this feeling sometimes of, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Sometimes it feels like, uh, whether your eyes are on more traditional media, digital media, social media, it just feels like some days you wake up and you're in the middle of an episode of The Twilight Zone. And for me, I think it's important for us to know that Christ came into this world. Like he lived on the same planet that we live on. And the tensions, the struggles, the temptations, the suffering of people are all things that Jesus experienced. And just because he ascended up into heaven does not mean that he's not here with us. And Josh and I really want us as a church, and we want as ourselves, we want to have a fresh encounter with Christ, that when we encounter Him, He he guides us, He reminds us of our task and our call, He reminds us of who we are, and we need to remember that God is still moving, He's still active, He is still in our midst, and He is still working out His plan. And today, is kind of the intro into this series, I I want us to be reminded of what his plan is. Why did he he leave heaven to come to earth? Why did he do that? Why would he come to the Twilight Zone? On purpose. And today, we're going to talk about a a story. Maybe you haven't heard this story since you were a child. Or if you're like me, you read a children's uh, storybook, Bible… So maybe you come upon this story often, but regardless of how often you read this story, I think today God has something to show us. So let's read the Word. We're in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, if you've got your Bible, or if you're going to make a couple clicks to get there, or if you just want to check it out on the screen, or if you just want to listen. Here we go. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and in joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And then our theme verse for today, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That is why Jesus came to the earth. Jesus came for you. He left all of heaven and all its perfection with roads so valuable that they shouldn't be walked on. They should just be stared at for you. Now, whether you're somebody who is committed and growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ or whether you are new here or whether you got dragged here because somebody told you that there would be food later or maybe you had nothing to do and you saw a sign, maybe you just clicked on this when you were scrolling through Facebook. I I don't know why you're here. But I do know this. All of us, all of us desire to have an encounter with Christ. Christ. But when it comes to having an encounter with Christ, we've got something to do. There there are parts that we play. We we can do things to have an encounter with Christ. And that is what today's story is about from Luke chapter 19. And that is what our series is about. When people encounter Jesus, they change. As simple as that. And so today we will see what an encounter with Jesus looks like. An encounter with Christ includes… Confronting obstacles, confronting obstacles. That's your first point on the outline. Verses 1 and 2, Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, Jesus, the Scriptures here are saying he was on his way to Jerusalem. He had set his eyes there, Luke said earlier. Does anybody know why he was going to Jerusalem? Please, let me just give you a hint real quick. It's very important. Passover. And what is actually going to happen at Passover? What's going to happen there? Come on, guys, what's going to happen there? <laughs> it's Jesus. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be set to trial. Ultimately, he will be crucified. And earlier, he set his eyes towards that. He knows what's coming, he knows where to go, he knows what to do. That is where he's going. But everything that Jesus does is intentional, everything. So when he makes a stop somewhere, it wasn't a random chance, he's going there to see somebody. And so this is Jericho. Now earlier we see in, at the end of chapter 18, we see Jesus coming to see a blind beggar, and he heals him. And as he's continuing to make his way through the town, people hear. And this man Zacchaeus wants to see him. So I, wanted, I want you to check out. Uh, where Jericho is on a map. I want to explain to you the kind of place that it was. Now, Jericho was in the Jordan Valley, and, which means it's going down. You're going down. You're lower uh, when it comes to sea level. But it was not as low as the Dead Sea. But it's beautiful. In fact, the winter's there are very warm because it's protected from a lot of the things that are going on everywhere else. It's very warm. And Herod saw this. He knew it. And so what he did was he decided to build an incredible, amazing palace there and he called it his winter capital, which basically meant it was his vacation house when it got cold, okay? It had bathhouses and steam rooms and pools. I mean, it was immaculate, okay? Jericho was also special because it had incredibly fertile soil, which meant plants could grow there. But because it was warm during the winter, rare and expensive plants could grow there, which meant not only was Jericho known for his money because the king decided to adopt it, as his winter resort but it was also known for its money because of the soil and the climate okay so why is that important why is all that stuff important because Zacchaeus is mentioned here and he was mentioned in two ways Jericho must have been a place that had a lot and lots and lots of money lots of money And Zacchaeus being the chief tax collector, a phrase that's not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament, meant that Zacchaeus wasn't a regular tax collector. Now, what do we know about tax collectors? People hated them. Why'd they hate them? We don't like anybody that takes taxes from us, one. Uh, So they're the person that does it. But two, they were put in place by foreign government. And they were put there to take the money From these people and prop up the foreign government, which is never a good situation, okay? In addition to that, though, these these tax collectors had a quota that they had to meet. And all of us know this, we all got jobs, we got stuff we got to meet, right? But if they didn't meet their number, if they were in danger of not meeting their number, who actually ended up paying those taxes? It wasn't the tax collectors, it was the people. And so they would find ways to find interesting interpretations of how they were supposed to collect tax, all to extort people from their money. But greed never stops just at the job expectation. See, greed pulls on you, and so it pulled further on these tax collectors. And so not only did they do the minimum just to get their quota for their boss, but they also found ways to oppress people even more for their own selfish benefit. Now, that was just a regular tax collector. But Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, which meant he was the leader of all the tax collectors in that region. Which the Bible explains in this way. He was very rich. Now, I did not love grammar growing up. I don't know if you love grammar. There are people I meet and they love grammar, and I honestly just think they're a little weird. Okay? But that's okay. That's my own judgment. I'm I'm trying to confess it and grow. Okay? So... But I just remember, and if you've got little kids, you know this. When they start writing papers, they kind of add words in that really don't mean anything so that they'll meet whatever the teacher told them to do. You all know what I'm talking about? And so they'll start saying, like, everything is very, or this is much, and you're like, you could have just said, like, the regular phrasing, right? Well, the Bible doesn't do that. In fact, the word very is not used very often, okay? In fact you struggle to find the word very because these authors, when they wrote it down, it came from God, and they write specifically what God wanted them to say. And so this word very is important because it's not used a whole lot, which means Zacchaeus wasn't just regular rich. He was extra rich. He was balling, okay? Now, if you're a little older, that means the dude had a significant surplus of cash, okay? So it's important for us to understand that Why? Because what does the Bible say about a rich man entering the kingdom of God? I'll remind you, yes. Matthew 19, 24, that's good. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of interpretation that scholars give about maybe this means like a gate opening up to a city, and maybe this is what Jesus is talking about. I'll just be honest with you. Most of the time when Jesus used these visual illustrations, it was because they were visual. And so he's basically saying this is how hard it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Try pushing a camel through the eye of a needle. I would say that that is impossible. Not like I could try hard enough to get a camel through there. I don't know if you've seen a camel. Julio, y'all took a trip into the Middle East to go to Jordan, right on a mission trip? How big are camels? Big. <laughs> Huge, okay? Needles are not big, okay? They are tiny. So I'm not a genius when it comes to physics, but seems hard to me. Okay? So what Jesus was saying there is it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, all things are possible. Zacchaeus's position of influence, his material wealth, and his history of exploitation of people would all have been obstacles that he would have carried with him everywhere he went. And we're the same. Now, for some of us, it may not be that we're very rich, but we have time. Now, some of you are going, JC, I'm busier than ever. In fact, my mentor used to tell me, never say that you're busy because 10 years from now, you will be busier and you will be disgusted at yourself for saying that you were busy 10 years ago, okay? Now, I know that, but I want to just give you some information about what our world is kind of going through, okay? So, apart from that discussion about how busy we are as a society, I want to just give you, unless you're Perry and you never use social media, okay? Okay? The rest of us have to struggle through what does it mean to use social media, okay? So according to Pew Research, 49% of Americans say that they use Facebook several times a day. 45% say that they use Snapchat several times a day. 38% use Instagram several times a day. 36% YouTube and 30% Twitter. Now what's interesting about that study is not that all of us are using this several times a day. I think we kinda knew that. What's interesting is that doesn't say How many of those adults are using multiple of those platforms every single day? And I would guess that most adults use multiple platforms several times a day. According to the LA Times, during the pandemic, adults were streaming on average eight hours of content a day. That was nearly double what it was before the pandemic. Which meant even before our world got turned upside down, four hours a day are being streamed every single day. So it's kind of hard to say that we just don't have the time. But how we use that time, how we use our money, how we use our gifts, how we use our talents, all the things that God has given to us matters. Are we placing ourselves in a position to encounter Christ every single day? Do we isolate from others when it comes to our relationships? And I'm not just talking about the events you sign up to go to voluntarily, but the things that you have to do in your life. Like, do you isolate yourself when others, uh, when you're at the grocery store, Uh, when you're going to see your kids play sports, when you're uh, going through your neighborhood? Do you find ways to not spend time with people? Are you proactively finding ways to spend time with others? What obstacles are keeping you, specifically you, from experiencing Christ? Do you know? Have you ever sat down and asked yourself, what are the things that are barriers for me having an opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ in my life? But not only do you know what they are, do you have a pathway towards doing something about it? We need to replace these habits that may distract us or keep us from pursuing Christ. We need to replace them with habits of opportunity. We need to spend time in God's Word. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time with other people who are followers of Jesus. We need to spend time with people sharing the gospel with them. But do we make time for those things? These are all internal to us. All of us have different jobs, different routines, different family structures, but we've got things just like Zacchaeus that we carry with us every single day. What are we doing about it? Not only do we have to wrestle with the obstacles that are inside of us, but we also must resist opposition from others. Verse 3. I love this picture. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Now, I love this because Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus, Now, if you're like me and you grew up in church, you'd know this story, and you even had a little song to memorize it, which was, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree for the the Lord he wanted to see. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you probably said Savior, whatever. Uh, He wanted to see Jesus, but he was short, so he climbed up in a tree. Now, I I want you to understand it's not as simple as just that. Uh, Now, I know we, most of us, a lot of us hadn't been in crowds for a while, okay? So if you go into a crowd, you know sometimes you get a bad seat. You ever been to a movie or a concert or a sporting event where your seat's just not real good and you find yourself like moving or then a tall person with a hat comes in and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do, right? Right? Anybody ever been there? You can raise your hand. Those of you who are tall, put your hands down, okay? (laughs) Never want to see you do that again, okay? Uh, But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, right? And he had to find a way around the crowd. But here's what's interesting about the crowd and sometimes what we forget in reading through this story. This crowd does not like Zacchaeus. He's a baller in their town. But he's a baller because he exploited people. And so do you think when Jesus is coming to town, everybody wants to see him, and you think when wee little Zacchaeus comes up to the crowd and he's like, hey, like, hey, let me by. Can I I get by? What do you think the crowd is doing? Absolutely, Zacchaeus, please proceed in front of me to see the Savior of the world, the man who is healing the blind and the deaf. Absolutely come past me. Do you think they're doing that? No, (laughs) absolutely not. In fact, I imagine some of them, because there's a crowd around. People do things when crowds are around that they may not do when it's just one-on-one. Maybe there's a little bit of shoving. Maybe the tall people follow him around, and they just stand in front of him every time. I don't know what happened. I just know this crowd was not for Zacchaeus. And more than likely, they were for themselves, and they wanted to see Jesus too. But Zacchaeus didn't let the opposition from the crowd stop him. In fact, the Scripture said, and a a guy pointed this out to me after the first service, he ran. He ran to see Jesus. He could not miss him. And so he ran. Now, I want to show you, this is what a tree would have looked like that Zacchaeus would have climbed. Now, this is not the tree Zacchaeus climbed, just FYI. They're using this for tourism's sake, okay? Okay. This would have been a tree that it looked like. Now, can I just say this? I I have four boys running around the house, and um, they like to climb things. Sometimes trees, sometimes walls, sometimes people, uh, and they just love it. I have never looked at a grown man, no matter what park I'm going to, no matter what situation, and he is climbing a tree, and I thought to myself, huh, what a great idea. (laughs) The first thought that comes into my head is, what in the world is going on? Why would this man have to climb this tree? This makes no sense, all right? Now, maybe there's a cat up there. So, you know, maybe there's some situation, but that's never my first thought. My first thought is, what in the world have I happened upon? This is crazy, okay? Well, that had not (laughs) changed. I saw like a common thing. And so, when Zacchaeus gets up this tree, you've got to remember, one, that would be weird for any grown man to climb a tree, but this is the bawling grown man in all of Jericho. And he's short. So if you're a member of the crowd and you see this short man who's bawling, that's probably gonna be the person you make fun of the most. None of that stopped him from climbing that tree. See, there is something about the person of Jesus that compels Zacchaeus to climb a tree so he might catch a glimpse of Jesus. But see, it's not only people that oppose us. Sometimes we just forget, like we forget. And it's been especially forgetful in the last year and a half. We forget that we have a spiritual enemy. In fact, Paul describes his opposition in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. I I want you to hear this, hear this. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who's the exact likeness of God. Why is that? Because Satan is opposing them. It's so important why we pray because we're involved in a spiritual battle. You know, The last year and a half, we're told, this person's my enemy, this person's my enemy, this person's my enemy, this person's my enemy, and I don't want to neglect the fact that there are real people enemies out there, okay? I don't want to neglect that. But man, when you can sometimes just sit down and talk with somebody, and you can ask questions, and you can listen, and you have the right heart to want to come to understanding, which the Gospel says should be a desire of the heart of a Christ follower, 99% of the time, you can come to agreement. 99% of the time, I truly believe that. I've been in lots of disagreements. Some of my own I've started, some of the own I got brought into, okay? But when you can listen and hear and ask good questions and try to arrive at clarity, you truly can understand each other because we're all human beings made in the image of God. And if we're a follower of Christ, we should inherently value people that way. So we should be able to come to agreement. But Satan doesn't want us to come to agreement. He doesn't want us to know the glories of the riches of the kingdom of God. He doesn't want us to know Jesus. He doesn't want us to know forgiveness of our sins. He doesn't want us to know what it looks like to live in peace. He doesn't want us to know those things. And sometimes we just forget that, no, he doesn't want us to know. And he is actively, adamantly opposed to that in your life. He is opposed to that. That's why we pray. It's why we gather at eight 8.15 in the morning. It's why we show up to church. We do that because we pray and we ask God to protect us from the onslaught of the enemy, to open up our eyes, to open up our heart, to open up our ears and open up our minds to Jesus. And it is a spiritual battle worked itself out in the flesh of people so i just want to give you a couple illustrations of this nothing serious but a couple illustrations of my own life of what this looks like okay that way you don't have to be embarrassed if i call you out on something all right so uh listen work's ramped up in family ministry in the summertime work does this it doesn't do this and so like where summertime may be a break for some of y'all for us it's the opposite of a break okay more things more events more ministry and all that's great uh, it's just season of life, right? So you know and prepare for it as best you can, okay? But in addition to that, in addition to having four boys at the home, a wife who I dearly love, uh, I also am in school right now. And I got a ton of things going on. In addition to the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus, and that comes first. I have habits that, that fall into that. So uh, usually, I try and go to the gym in the late afternoon. And for a lot of the time in the year, that works, Okay. Apparently, pushing heavy things is something that works with me, okay? It may not work with you. This is not a go-to-the-gym practical application, okay? But for me, that is a practice that I have in my life. Well, for a couple weeks, with meetings and extra stuff, like at that time, just it got sucked up by people, okay? So, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get around this obstacle. I'm going to wake up so early, nothing can happen. (laughs) I'm going to wake up before Jesus wakes up. That's what I'm going to do, okay? Now, Jesus is always awake, okay? It's just a joke. But… So I woke up, got my gym clothes on. I'm rolling, I mean, it's like five o'clock in the morning. My family is dead asleep, okay? So I'm walking out the door, and right when I pass the staircase, all my boys sleep upstairs. When I walk past that staircase, I hear the most terrifying words in the world when everyone is asleep. Mom! Now, I'd be lying if I told you I was not tempted to continue walking out that door, knowing that they called mom's name. They didn't call my name. But I did not. Turns out, one of my boys had an upset stomach, okay? Which meant gym time Now again, that wasn't his fault. That's not a big deal, but in those moments when you put together a proactive plan and you're trying to get around those things, it just sometimes feels like things aren't working out in your favor. I'll give you another one. I had a couple uh, uh, days where like really tense meetings back to back now, I know you're thinking, churches never have problems. People are always happy. Can I just tell you, I have never received a phone call from anyone who said, I want to meet with you, and it didn't involve a problem. No one ever says like, hey, can we meet? Everything is great, and I just want to tell you it's all awesome, and here's some nice words to say that everything is going great. That never happens. Now, that probably is not everybody's life, okay? I know what it looks like when bosses call you into meetings, and you didn't know about it beforehand. Okay, I get that. But it's like a couple days back-to-back of that, okay? I need some sleep. It's like those meetings, extra time. You just, okay, you see it in yourself. Okay, I got to get to bed early. I got four boys at home. Okay, can we we make this happen? Okay, so we got them all to bed, and they're all sleeping. And we're like, I'm going to get to bed early. So I do, I get to bed early. 12.40 at night. Why do I know that? Because I got woke up, and I looked at my phone. It was 12.40 p.m., or a.m., I guess, at that point. Anybody want to guess what happened? It wasn't a child. My electric toothbrush turned on. (laughs) It's a push-button electric toothbrush. Not only did it turn on, I placed it right next to the sink. It vibrated, because it's an electric toothbrush, all the way over into the sink, which made a speaker, which made it reverberate through the entire house. I wake up at 1240. After I had been praying, before I went to sleep, God, please let me get some good rest tonight. Please let me get some good sleep tonight. I got to recover to get to these meetings the next day. And I woke up, and the first thing I did, now I don't always do this. The first thing I did was smile. I laughed, and I said out loud, I know what you're up to. (laughs) Satan was opposing me. Now, y'all can think whatever you want to. If he touched my electric tooth, I don't care about any of that, okay? I just don't. I'm not going to analyze that. Here is what I'm going to tell you. In that moment, which I wish happened more in my life, in that moment I reflected on, I don't have to get so frustrated that I was woken up. I can understand that there is an enemy who opposes me, and I can celebrate the fact that even when I'm asleep, God is working on my behalf, and I can just trust that he's working. Now, I wish I did that every time. I wish I never got frustrated. I wish I never got anxious. I wish I was never worried. I, I wish all those things. But in this moment, I released it. When it comes to the opposition in our life, how do you respond? Do you complain? Do you have a woe-is-me attitude? Do you lose all hope? Sometimes it feels like when you talk to people who um, are uh, alive in this period of time, it always just feels like this is the worst period of time ever. It never matters what period of time it is. It's an attitude. Do you do the opposite? Do you like hold yourself up like Oscar the Grouch? You put your trash can lid on and you're just mad and you're just going to wait till you turn happy again. And then you'll pull that off and then you're Elmo, right? Like, is that what you do? Or do you bury yourself in work and you just do more and more and more and more and more? You put your head down and you push through it. We need to respond the way that Zacchaeus responded when he was opposed, which is, I must find a way to see Jesus. We cannot continue this cycle that we have. After we deal with our own obstacles, and after we resist the opposition from others, we also must seize the opportunities that are in front of us. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and great joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. See this is the risky part about faith. Because what we sometimes don't consider in this story is that Zacchaeus could have done all those things and Jesus could have just passed by. It's our attitude in America. We think we can do anything. And so what we do is there's always a method or a tool or a resource that can help us get what we want to get. Either a skill or an asset or a job opportunity. If we can just find the right method, we can do it. And there's things that are okay about that. We are supposed to exert effort. We are supposed to, uh, we're supposed to do stuff. We're not just meant to be here and sit. That's not why God created us. But the challenge with that is, is we quickly lose sight of the fact that without God, none of that is possible. Zacchaeus made such a significant effort to just possibly, maybe, by chance, see Jesus. And the trouble is, we get so busy, we've got so many things going on, that the world is a hard place to live in sometimes, that sometimes we feel the... Oh, well, Jesus will be there when I have time. Jesus will be there when I've got more money. Jesus will be there next time. And forgive me because I get a little excited about the fact that Jesus sees us, but that can't be our attitude. We just cannot live our life that way. Zacchaeus hasn't even fully experienced what it means to know who Jesus is yet. And he undignifies himself. He climbs a tree. And then, he's, Jesus is coming to my house? Now, why was this such a big deal? Well, Jesus initiated to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't yelling at Jesus In fact, he probably didn't want to yell at Jesus. He probably just wanted to peer and peek at what was going on. He didn't really know who Jesus was at this point. But see, Zacchaeus was super rich, very rich, the Bible says. And Jericho was a rich place. So Jesus, the house that he said he was going to come to, would have been an incredible house. A house that everyone notices when they walk by. And so that house wasn't just a house. See, it represented to the Jews oppression. It represented to people in Jericho extortion. It represented thievery. Why would Jesus go to a thief's house? Why would Jesus show up to somebody who has everything? Why would he do that? And what I love about this is we don't get a picture of what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. Because you know, as a pastor, if I knew what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, man, I'd break that thing down. I'd tell you what the words meant in Greek. We we talk about sentence structure. We talk about grammar. We talk about syntax. We talk about why those words were important, and then we tell you here's a method to figure it out. But Jesus didn't tell Luke to write those words down. All we know is that the most baller of ballers in the most balling place ever went from thieving extortionist who was hated by everyone to one of the most generous men that we have a picture of in the Bible after one dinner. Now, I don't know if that seems preposterous to you. It does to me. In fact, I would even make the argument almost like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. I think Luke left out the statements that Jesus would have made, the questions he would have asked on purpose, because it's not just the words of Jesus that matters. It is who Jesus is as a person. And when he sees you, when he locks eyes with you, when you truly have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you must change. Zacchaeus also gives a practical picture to us of what it looks like to confess your sins. See, Zacchaeus didn't just confess the part that we would all recognize, which is that he robbed people, he stole from them, he extorted them on their taxes. He does confess that, but he also confesses that everything he has belongs to God. And he had been stingy with what God had given to him. It wasn't just what Zacchaeus did. It was also what he had refused to do, and he confesses both of those things. He confesses that he's going to give half of his wealth away. He confesses that he cheated people on their taxes, and that he's going to pay them back four times the amount he cheated them. You know, I'm not crazy at math, but that seems like a whole lot of money to give away. Like a whole lot. It's also interesting to me because earlier in Luke, we hear about the rich young ruler, and he asked Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus said, sell all your possessions. And the man walked away sad. Zacchaeus didn't give away all of his possessions, and yet Jesus was pleased. This shows us that Jesus is not concerned about you checking off a box. He's concerned about your heart. He's concerned about what is going on in you. These two confessions show us that we should reflect on our own sins. We should ask God, if we can't name our own sins, to to show us who we are. And Zacchaeus, encountering Christ, not only became aware of how much he had cheated people, but also that God owns it all. And that because he owns it all, I'll do what he wants with it. God's Spirit will move us to repair relationships, When the Spirit nudges you, you should respond, and you should respond immediately, and you should respond quickly. In fact, when it talks about people coming to church and worshiping God, it says if you have a relationship in your life that is not right, drop everything and go to that person and try and fix it immediately. Because it impacts your worship, it not only impacts your worship, it impacts the witness of Christ in our community, and it matters to God that your relationships are right. It matters to him. In fact, we were preaching a message on marriage a few years ago. I was preaching and a lady got up and walked out when I started talking about submission. So immediately I was going, whoops, sorry, uh, be praying for her. But you know what? I heard from a friend later. The reason why she got up is because her relationship with her husband wasn't right and she was going to fix it because that's what we had talked about that day. That's faith. That's faith. Confession is supposed to be an ongoing practice for us as followers of Jesus. It's not just a one-time act when we become a disciple of Christ. In fact, sometimes it's the burden that we carry. It's why you're a little bit more frustrated. It's why you're a little bit more anxious. It's why you're a little bit more worrisome. It's why you're a little bit more burdened. Because you haven't offloaded your burdens to Christ. Lay them at the foot of Jesus. Confess your sin and accept His grace. But be honest. Don't like throw out some general thing. Zacchaeus didn't throw out a general thing. I'm giving half my money back and anybody I've cheated four times as much. Does that sound general or specific to you? For me, I think we should be specific with our sins when we confess them to God. And when we encounter Christ, we shouldn't just confess our sins to be aware of them. We should do everything we can in our power to make our relationships in our life right. We don't just say our sin is bad. We repair the relationships that our sin impacts as much as it's within our power to do. See, Zacchaeus represented this foreign government. He was the very picture of oppression. And this same crowd in Jericho literally sang songs to worship God when the blind beggar was healed. But now they're mad at Jesus because he went to the house of a rich man and that rich man, inherited an eternal kingdom. And if that story doesn't make you get a little bit… you need to check your feeler, because it may be off. Zacchaeus truly came to Christ. Now, he made an effort He found a way past being short. He found a way past the crowd's opposition of him. And he found a way to see Jesus. But really, Jesus saw him. This is why I think that the series that Josh and I will be teaching over the summer is so important for us today. We need an encounter with Jesus Christ. And we must do the things that are within our power to place ourselves in the pathway that just by some chance, maybe Jesus will be there. We read our Bible not to check off the box, but maybe Jesus will meet us there. We come to church not to get it off our list, but maybe Jesus will show up and maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to us and change us. We show up as small group to talk about the material, to ask questions of each other so that we grow closer to Christ. And maybe somebody shares something, maybe the word is read in such a way that it makes our heart come to life because we encounter Christ. We serve in the way that we serve because we want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And I want you to see Jesus. Because when Jesus sees us and we see him. We are changed. And if we're filled with a church full of people who sees Jesus on a regular basis, woo, it's going to be fun. So that's what I'm praying. I'm praying this summer that we become more concerned about having an encounter with Christ than our normal summer plans. And Jesus told us, this is why he came. He came for you who are lost. If that's you today, Jesus has made it abundantly clear to you. He's for you. He put human skin on for you. He was tortured on a cross for you. He died for you. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you'd like to take a peek at him, you want to see him, I'm going to ask as our care volunteers come down front that you would confess your sin to them, and you'd share, please help me know how to find Jesus. If you've been lax in your walk of faith with God, I'm going to ask you to confess that, to forsake that, and to today, spend time with your Savior. And I want all of you to receive this promise from James 4, chapter 8. It says this, draw near to God, and He will come near to you. Don't allow today to pass without making every effort possible to see Jesus come to Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You how it cuts like a knife and yet it also heals as it cuts. God, I pray for those who need encouragement today that they'd be encouraged. I pray for those who've been lax with their time or their money or their service or their energy or their gifts to confess their sin to you and to make a pathway towards encountering you through the things that you gave them. God, if there's someone who doesn't know you at all, I pray that they would take the step, they'd make every effort, they'd run down front to meet you. God, we thank you for your love. Make us a church that encounters you on a regular basis and to take our encounters with you and share them with the world. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we are able to pray these things and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you all for being here.